my most memorable gift. Um, I was a very young girl, and uh, I received a um, pink frosted powder jar with a little girl on top of the cover. And uh, the reason that that gift was so important, um, my mother and father, when I was a very young girl, my mother and father had difficult times financially, and we, we only received one gift under the tree. But neighbors in the community brought gifts in, and one of those gifts was this little pink jar. My most memorable Christmas gift was the Christmas that I had all my grandchildren and children at my house to celebrate after Christmas. It was memorable to me because it was the first time I had all the grandchildren that I had at that particular time together in one place. Our favorite Christmas gift was? The set of pictures that we take every year at Christmas that I carry with me and enjoy so that Christmas lasts all through the year, every year. My most memorable Christmas gift was a huge teddy bear, nearly as big as I was when I was about five or six years old. It was the only Christmas that we spent with my mother's family in West Virginia. And we lived in western Kentucky and my parents had to take three little kids and three big teddy bears back in the car afterwards. I have two memorable Christmases. The first was uh, when our first daughter, Stacy, was born on Christmas Eve and her daddy said, oh, she's cute as a button. Then, nine years later, God gave us the gift of peace and hope as our 10-day-old daughter went to heaven to live with Jesus. Well, my most memorable Christmas gift was waking up one morning and seeing a Lionel uh, train encircling our Christmas tree. My most memorable Christmas was here at church on Christmas Eve six years ago. My husband and I served communion. We were down in the front and the congregation came to us. And I was able to serve my three adult children and tell them that this is Jesus' body broken for you. And it's especially meaningful because our son died suddenly three and a half years ago. And I know he received that free gift of Jesus and we'll see him again. Well, my most memorable Christmas gift is right here. It was hand-carved by my father-in-law in 1981. It's always been with me, and it's out every day for 31 years. <clears throat> you know, who, who says that only kids can enjoy Christmas, huh? I pray that you will find this week one where you're not just busy with activities. But I pray that for each of us, we would enter into a connection with Almighty God, that we would see the true meaning of Christmas and thank the Lord for this unprecedented gift, the gift of Jesus, and that we would be moved somewhere along the way, moved deeply with gratitude and joy for the life that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas to all of you. I have a, a little... Uh, thing I want to show you. Do you know what this is? Huh? Maybe you can uh, whisper to your neighbor if you think you know what this is. Uh, Julie over here said, Jeff, is that a hair pick? And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Maybe this will help a little bit. You hear that? This is a, a part of a clock. It's the chimes of a clock. And uh, I, I, it was, I went to the most unique funeral as, as we arrived at this funeral, everyone that came received a part of a clock. The, the funeral was of my dear friend's father-in-law. My buddy, I wanted to show love and support to him, so my wife and I went. And his father-in-law, who had passed away, was an avid clock collector. 
And when they went into his clock workshop, they found all of these parts. And they thought it would be meaningful if they gave a part to all who attended the funeral as just a reminder of their dearly beloved dad. Well, I learned so much about clock collecting at that funeral. When I say that this guy was a clock collector, I am not overstating it. In fact, he had invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in his clock collection. It was one of the greatest clock collections in the world. I never went to my buddy's father-in-law's house, but my friend told me about it, and he said, Jeff, it's like a museum. You come in, and every wall, every spot on every wall has a clock. I mean, they're packed in there. This collection was just unreal. My friend said it drives normal people crazy because the sound is just like, ah, stop it, stop it. But, but he, he loved, loved, loved clocks. He was part of an association of clock lovers. Did you know that there is one? The National Association of Watch and Clock Collectors. And he was the chairman, I'm sorry, the president of the local chapter of, of that association. He traveled annually to the National Convention of Clock Collectors. And apparently there are tons of people out there who are passionate, devoted to this hobby, this thing called clock collecting. Well, to my friend, he said to me following the funeral, he said, Jeff, there came an awkward day when all the kids came into dad's house and looked at all these clocks, and he said, we had to make a decision. What are we going to do with them? And he said, uh, they looked at each other and said, does anybody want them? And uh, one of the kids said, well, I'd like one, you know, to remember dad by. And that was kind of the shared sentiment of all the children. And so they agreed that each would pick a clock as a treasured heirloom to remember dad. But then they had just hundreds and hundreds of clocks left. And they made a decision to call an auctioneer. And he said, we stood there in one day, these, this truck came up, and in one day they packed them up, shipped them out, and auctioned them off to the highest bidder. And my, my friend shared with me, I felt so bad. I mean, hear what this man lived for, what he devoted his life to, was suddenly gone in a matter of of ours. This historic collection that he had achieved through countless hours and dollars, gone. I walked away from this experience and I felt like God had reminded me, maybe taught me at a deeper level of a couple spiritual truths that I'd like to share with you. The first is that we all need a cause. We all need a purpose. We were made by God to crave to give our lives to something. And this man found clock collecting something that resonated deeply with him. And he gave himself to that, achieved levels of excellence at that that are mind-boggling. Every one of us, for you it may not be clock collecting, but if I had the time to study your life, I'd find out what it is. We've all got a purpose, a cause. We were made to live for something. You know, for some, it's their house. You love your house, and you think about your house, and you invest in your house, trying to ever perfect that residence. 
For others, it's that job. You are on a mission to achieve the highest level of success and accomplishment at that work. For others, it's, it's golf. And, uh, you know, for others, it's cooking. Uh, whatever it may be, we've got something that we are devoted to. And I think we have that because God made us that way. God made us to obsess <laughs> about something and devote our one lives to some purpose or purposes. Now, here's the second thing that that funeral reminded me, and that is that most purposes are unworthy of our one life. You know, I'm not saying clock collecting is wrong. I think it's probably a beautiful hobby that can bring glory to God and a smile to his face. But when we obsess and give the totality of our lives to a hobby that's just here today, gone tomorrow, I would argue your life is worth more than that. And we need to look and we need to evaluate that which we're devoting our lives, our one passing life to, and ask ourselves, is this the best use of my one life? Because getting to the end and having a regrettable cause Getting to the end and looking back and going, "Ah, why did I spend so much of who I am in that? No one wants regret. We want to feel good about that investment. So all of us need to find a non-regrettable purpose for living. You know, I'm going to call today's message Purpose. Uh, some of you were aware when I started this series, I said that we're going to study the gift of Jesus. And I had said back then, there's going to be three gifts that the gift of Jesus brings to us. The first was joy. Last week was peace. I said the last week was going to be hope. I lied. It's purpose. The more I've gotten into the verse, though it speaks of hope, undoubtedly, I, I, I have realized that the message is that God has a cause a cause of profound significance that Jesus came to start and invites us to give our lives to. So we're going to look at the gift of purpose because we all need a life of purpose. All right, so if you recall, this three-week series has been a study of a poem. Isaiah was inspired by God to write what's called the Royal Birth Announcement Poem. These verses found at the beginning of Isaiah 9 have described the significance of the birth of Christ with life-transforming effect. And this final verse, verse 7, final verse of the poem is what we're going to study together. And what we're going to see is it's describing the cause. Here's the cause. The kingdom of God. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a community, or a community submitted to the king. And as you'll see, that's what verse 7 is all about. So let me read it. Speaking of this one born to us, it says that his ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. And he will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. Wow. So this government, this community of leadership that Jesus is 
king over. It's called the kingdom of God, and that's what's really referred to here. And I'd like you to consider devoting your life to this cause. Let's analyze it from this verse, and let's see if it's worthy of your one life. Now, some of you say, I've already decided to devote my life to this cause. Fantastic. I would challenge you to evaluate the level of devotion that you are presently living for this cause and determine if you're giving enough of your life to this cause. Maybe you're given 30% and you, you decide that, you know what, this cause is worth more of who I am. Or if you're living for another cause presently, other than the cause of Jesus, use this verse as a comparative point where you can lay your cause next to this cause and say, am I really investing in the right direction? Shall we? So let's start with this. His ever-expanding, this is the, this is the, I want to use the term aggressive. So the, the cause that we're looking at here called the kingdom of God is ever-expanding. The term I want to use is aggressive. Ever-expanding. You, you, you see uh, empires in the ancient world that were really aggressive. They were pushing their boundaries further and further out, conquering more peoples and making their empire bigger and bigger. And, and the kingdom of God, in, in a way that's like that, but in a way that's very different, is very, very aggressive and ever-expanding. Jesus described this in Acts 1.8. At the end of his earthly ministry, he announced to his followers, he says, in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Start here in Jerusalem, and then throughout Judea, which was the area around Jerusalem, and then in Samaria, which was the area even further out, and then to the ends of the earth. The cause of Christ, this kingdom, is aggressive. You've got to know that the mission of God for this kingdom is to reach out and expand and reach out to every... The kingdom of God does not expand by the acquisition of land, but the acquisition of people, hearts, individuals. The kingdom grows by more people joining the kingdom, becoming citizens of the kingdom through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you should know something about God. Does the Lord sit back and say, oh, look at, we've got a billion, three billion Christians. That's great. That's good enough. No. The Lord never says good enough. The Bible teaches that God desires all to be saved. And God is in his kingdom aggressively seeking to expand his kingdom. I hope that you're looking for an aggressive cause. You know, there are some causes that are non-aggressive. It's a knitting club. I don't know if it's a knitting. Did I sound... Knitting is great. But if you're going to invest your life in a cause, find one that's changing the world, that has big, bold, audacious objectives. I'm a a Cubs fan. Go Cubs. Uh, This is the year. Uh, And yet one of the things, sometimes the Cubs are referred to a nickname as the lovable losers. I hate that name. It drives me crazy. It seems to make an implication of us Cubs fans that we just love them even though they're losers, you know, and that we really don't care about winning. We Cub fans just enjoy America's pastime. We love to go down to the friendly confines and, you know, have a little Cracker Jack. And, you know, who cares about winning? doesn't matter to us. No! 
I want to win. Let me just say it boldly. I don't want to just have a winning season. I don't just want to get the pennant. I want the World Series. You say, Jeff, it's never going to happen. Ah, it's going to happen. I wouldn't do this thing if I didn't believe that they were possible somehow, someday, by a miracle of Almighty God. (laughs) And when it comes to our life cause, the kingdom of God, I pray that you resonate with the aggressive nature of it. God says he will not cease fighting for the souls of all mankind. And you know, it's a big, bold, audacious kingdom, this kingdom of God. And it's worthy to give your life to in part because of its aggressive nature. Now, some of you are like, aggressive, oh, that sounds terrible, especially with religion. And immediately you think of other religious sects that are achieving or trying to achieve world domination, many of them through violence, warfare, terrorism. And we can't even exclude ourselves. Christians once in a period called the Crusade thought that that would be a good way to advance the cause violently. But I want to make a note here. It says, his ever-expanding peaceful government. The expansion occurs not through violence, not through force, but the expansion occurs with peace. And you say, how do you do that? You win the hearts of people. God is not interested in a group of citizens who have been intimidated into bowing before his lordship. He wants a group of people who have fallen in love with him and choose freely to be citizens in his kingdom because they adore the king. Remember, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, greatest thing for God is to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So it's an aggressiveness that's characterized by honor, respect, and wooing of the heart. Look at our mission statement. Remember our new mission statement? God has put on our hearts to love him more, so more love him. It's aggressive. It's all about more, 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 more. We're not satisfied. We need more. We need more in us, more love for God. We need more folks to come out there to come and know him more. So it's aggressive, but it's not aggressive in a violent sort. It's all about love. It's about wooing the hearts of people by the beauty and glory of God so that they fall in love with him. It's a beautifully aggressive kingdom. All right, so that's, that's the first observation about this kingdom that I'd point to. The second is this. It is uh, eternal. It is eternal. Did you notice that? It said, uh, his ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever. That's so ironic because if you study empires, if you're a history buff at all, one of the things you know about empires is that they come and they go. Did you ever notice that? I've had the privilege of standing in Rome, the ancient capital of the great Roman Empire. Gone. I mean, the city's there, but the the remnants of that empire are just ruins now. I stood in Athens, Greece, where the capital of the great Greek empire, Alexander the Great, where is it? Just gone. All empires, they come and they go. And yet this is an empire, a kingdom that will never end. And when it comes to investing your one life, I hope that matters to you. 
I hope you're investing something in your life that when you're dead, your kids don't look at it and go, what do we do with it? No, uh, auctioneer, sell it off. No, you don't want that. You want to invest yourself in something that endures. So many causes today come and they go, whether it's clock collecting, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a nation, a company. My, my dad uh, invested 30 years of his life building this company, and uh, he was appropriately so proud and delighted with the culture and the success of this company. And then I watched him sell it to Harris Bank, and the name was taken down, and all the T-shirts and business cards and pens and you know, tchotchkes were all kind of packed up, and it's gone. And Harris Bank, you know, sold to the Bank of Montreal, and it's kind of sold, and all the employees are kind of molded in, and the customer base is molded in, it's gone. And to see what you've invested, now thankfully I'll tell you, my dad invested in the company knowing it would go, doing it for the people and for the resources that could be used to advance God's kingdom. And so his grief was minimal because his heart was in the right place. But we need to see that these causes are all passing. But there's one that is eternal. Every investment that you give of your life, whether it be money, time, energy, skill, into people in the kingdom of God will last forever. There's a word here I'd love to jump to, and that's the word guarantee. Uh, It says here that the Lord will guarantee this upward, eternal advance of his cause. How often do we get guarantees when it comes to investment? Not much. You know, uh, you have companies you invest in or stocks you invest in, and for a season they're great, and then... But this is one investment where the Lord says, guaranteed. It's up, 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 up. From now forward and through all eternity, this cause will never end. And when we're looking for somewhere to invest our lives, you won't find anything with that same promise. All right, so it's eternal. It's aggressive, it's eternal, and next, it is beautiful. If this aggressive eternal speaks to the strength and power of this advancing cause, the beauty speaks to the qualitative nature of this cause. Did you catch that? How will he rule? What will the culture of this kingdom be? And it says that Jesus will rule the kingdom of God with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. The reference to David there in part speaks that the Messiah was to be born as a descendant of David, which Jesus was. But scholars believe that it also speaks to the type of rule, fairness, justice. That's how David ruled. Did you know that? Uh, David, I'll, I'll read you a verse. This is about David out of First Chronicles eighteen fourteen. David reigned over all Israel and did what was right and just for all his people. Most kings didn't rule like that. Most kings were self-centered and would say, this is a sweet gig I got. I'm going to get rich, baby. And they ruled out of self-interest. But every once in a while, you'd have a truly, a truly selfless king who loved the common people and would fight for them, to give them justice, to give them fair treatment. 
And David was a commoner. He didn't come from a royal lineage. He was just a commoner who never forgot the common folk, and he was known for fighting for them. That's what the kingdom of God is like. People matter in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is devoted to the least of these, to helping those who need justice, who need fair treatment. In fact, Jesus once was in a synagogue and he described uh, what his mission was. In Luke 4, it says, Jesus announced, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, to the prisoners, to the blind, to the oppressed. The nature of this kingdom is so beautiful. It's about helping people, people who are empty and lost, who are hopeless, who are confused, who are fearful. Almighty God sweeps across this world with his kingdom, and as Jesus intersects the lives of people, he restores them. He brings them to a place of contentment and joy and hope and direction and strength once again. It's about rescuing those in need. If, if you're going to find a cause, I would encourage you to find one that has a mission that's beautiful, where you can just say, oh my, yes, that's what I want to be about. And that's what we're about as a church, to help people find this God so that they can love him and through that love connection, see their lives and their families restored and transformed to the beauty that God wants to do in and through them. So, this kingdom, it's aggressive, it's eternal, will not fade away, it is beautiful, and then lastly, it is divine. And, and when I say divine, what I mean by that is of God. The word divine means of God. And this kingdom is the kingdom of God. And by that, I mean that God not only owns the king, he's not only the king of the kingdom, he is aggressively active in that advance of that kingdom. He doesn't sit in the ivory tower and just lay back and watch what happens. He's involved. Look what the verse says. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. The Lord is active. You know, why can he guarantee it's going to do well? Because he's going to make sure it does well. He is, look out, God is on the move, and if you get in his way, he is going to run you over like a running back on a mission. The Lord is charging with passionate commitment to his cause. Active. It reminds me of what Jesus said of uh, the church. You know, the church is how the kingdom of God is manifested in the world today. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus, the king, is active in the building of his kingdom. That's what he does. You know, if you're curious, you're saying, you know, I'm looking for a cause. I wonder what God's passionate about. Well, let me tell you, his church, his, his kingdom. And so if you want to be involved with what God's involved with, you've got to choose this cause. It's one of the main reasons to choose it, actually, is to have the privilege of rubbing shoulders with the Lord Almighty. 
If you say, no, no, I'm going to pick something else as my purpose for living and hope to find God there, you're going to be disappointed. But if you choose to dive into what he's doing, and that's the advance of his kingdom, then you will find sweet friendship and fellowship and partnership with God. As you serve as his ambassador at work, he'll join you in that. As you serve your kids, trying to raise them in his ways, he'll meet you and empower you and lead you in that. As you serve at church with the kids or in the lobby or in the parking lot, you will find God stepping alongside you saying, now you're doing what I love. Let me lead, guide, empower. And I would argue this To get your passionate commitment aligned with God's passionate commitment so the two of you are working together, it's one of the greatest reasons to make this your cause. My my son came outside as I was hanging up Christmas lights on our house. Jake's seven years old, and he goes, Hey, Dad! Puffs out his chest. Can I help you? Yeah, oh, great, yeah. I go, of course, Jake, I'd love you to help. And Next thing I know, he's got a big tangled bunch of lights, you know, and he's holding them, starts climbing this ladder to the roof, you know. I'm, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, Jake, why don't we find a role for you on the ground, you know, that can help out. And I got thinking about it, and my son was so excited. Is he passionate about electric circuitry? No. He was excited because he wanted to work with his dad. He was excited to take up this task so that he could do it with me. And one of the great reasons to devote yourself to the cause of Christ is that so you can do it with the Lord, so that you can say, Lord, can we be partners? Can I help? You know, and similarly, you know, we, we sometimes think, we're like my son, you know, when he's got all this tangled, can I help? You know, he's really not help, you know. And sorry, same's true with us. You know, we're like, hey, Lord, guess what? You're lucky. I'm here. You know, I'm here to help you. Yeah. <laughs> and God smiles and says, you know what? I would like to use you. As ordinary as you are, I can fill you with my spirit and give you an effectiveness that is not your own. And with cooperation with me, yes you can be tremendously effective in the advance of the kingdom. And that bond that occurs with people devoted to the cause of God. If you meet people who aren't devoted to the cause of God, inevitably they're not close to God. You find people who live, breathe, wake up each day saying, I live to advance the kingdom. You find somebody who's close to God, doing what God does. So, can I just look at the verse one more time? Uh, And go ahead, take those other alternative causes that you are living for, or that you could live for, and compare it to this one. This cause Christ inaugurated, the kingdom of God that he proclaimed, that he started, that rolls on today. It is an ever-expanding kingdom. Peaceful government that will never end. This kingdom is ruled by one who is fair and just and sits on the throne of David. And this kingdom is backed by the passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty, and he has guaranteed it will win. Choice is ours. You know, 
Did I mention I'm a Cubs fan? Can I go back to that point one more time? I, I, I love the Cubs. I got Cubs t-shirts. I got Cubs jerseys. I got Cubs hats. I got more Cubs stuff than I should. Confession. One Cubs thing I found just this week that I don't have, I'd like to show you. Maybe you're going to buy one of these, huh? It's a officially licensed by Major League Baseball. No kidding. And that's not a joke. $7,000. You can buy one of these babies, all right? You know what's funny is I've, I've officiated a number of funerals where had the, the family known these exist, they would have bought one. You know, when you looked into the coffin, you know, they've got their Cubs teddy bear and their Cubs hat and their pennant and... You know, it was just very evident that this was what their life was about. In fact, I've I've been asked to eulogize, and I'm always honored to do so. But often I don't know the deceased as well as the family, and so I'll ask them, tell me about your loved one. What can I say about them? And they'll say, oh, they're Cubs fans. He was a Cubs fan, Jeff. And I'm like, sweet, so am I. That'll work. I'll talk about that. What else? Um, uh, what else? Uh, did we say he's a Cubs fan? Yeah, you mentioned that already. What else? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, hmm, you don't want to be there. There's going to be a discussion someday about your life and your eulogy. And the discussion is going to be what was he or she devoted to? What did they live for? And as much as I love the Cubs, if all they can say is your favorite sports team, that's a life misplaced. Now, I have a good news. None of us are in the box yet. We all still have life to live, still have life to invest. Can I challenge you? There is no greater mission in all the universe than the kingdom of Almighty God that Jesus came to inaugurate and proclaim. And he's longing for you to join him. And he'll call you to generosity and to give. And he'll call you to serve. And he'll call you to love. And he'll call you to invite people to church. There are countless ways that this devotion to the kingdom is expressed. And it's scary and hard, but it's worth it. And I pray that increasingly the cause of Christ captures you. And it is your everything, your reason for getting up in the morning and living each day. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're so glad you came. We're so glad you died on the cross to pay for our sins. We're so glad you invited us into your kingdom and made us citizens, lovers of the king. And we're so glad you invited us to play a part, to devote our puny, unimpressive lives to this great venture. Lord, we lay our lives before you. Use us, take us, do with us whatever you want to do. Are there people today, God, you want us to talk to? Do you want us to love them? Do you want us to serve them? Are there ways that we can invite folks to church for Christmas Eve services? 
Spirit of the living God, nudge us to active involvement in the advance of your cause, and we will obey. You gave your life for us. We want to give our life for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.